We have, over the course of the summer, been talking about what it means to be the family of God. And that is uh, how the Bible, one of the ways the Bible describes what uh, the church is, the body of Christ. That's another way the Bible describes what the church is. The household of faith, that's another way the Bible describes what the church is. But, of course, when you say household, that's a family. If you go all the way back to the beginning of creation, what God created was a family. And then that family was broken. And now in Christ, that family is being reconciled to our Father God and to one another in the new family of God, we might say, the body of Christ. So we are the people of the one little word. That line comes from a song by Martin Luther. One little word is in the song, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And it talks, that song talks about <clears throat> how uh, the world is filled with devils, seen and unseen, who threaten to undo us. But we aren't to worry about that. There's no serious threat. Because if Satan himself comes after us, one little word shall fell him. And if you do a little bit of research into what the one little word is, you would read uh, the Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Galatians. And in that commentary, he tells us what the one little word is that destroys our enemy, that brings us into safety. And that word is Abba, Father. You see, when we come into the family of God, we dwell in safety. We are secure. Our place even now is secure. Even if, even if our life in this present life is utterly undone, we remain secure in Christ with God as our Abba. And so as soon as I cry out, I am living the whole Christian life. Now this is something we do together, of course. We have received the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit that cries out from our hearts, Abba. This is something we are in as a family. So this is all review, by the way, because I'm seeing a lot of faces here I haven't seen, so this is like laying the groundwork. So in the last, last week we started to think, well, how do I find my place? We've noticed that everyone in the church, every Christian has a place in the family, just like you have a place in your natural family. Uh, each person in the family sort of plays a different role, and there's a blending of relationships, a community, a, a sharing of life together. Uh, that sharing of life together is what we call in church fellowship. The word fellowship simply means to share, to live together as a family. 
And I wanted to, one of the reasons we're talking about this is I want us as a church, as a local body of Christians, to notice that we are not a business. Because it is so ordinary in the modern world to do church in the modern way, which is like we do everything else, and that is to turn it into a business. In which I'm the CEO, and if you're a part of the church, a member of the church, you're part of the staff, and we have a task and a job, and we're in the world, and our goal is to increase, to grow, to grow in our numbers, to grow in our cash reserves, to grow in our real estate, our buildings, to operate like a business. And so we market Jesus to the world. None of that is in the Bible, just to be clear. There's some flexibility about how we do church. But I don't want to turn a family into a business. There are some family businesses. I worked when I first started working in a family business. I worked for my parents, running a business they started. And I did that for two years. Some of you may have had a similar experience. I think if you're going to go into business as a family, you better be a really strong family. Because doing business together as a family is going to create some stress in your family. And here in the church, we're not a business. We're a family. We don't have to go into business together. We don't, here in this church, plan to go into business together. We plan to operate as a family. So when you come in here on Sunday morning, you're coming home. You don't go to church, you come to church. And here are your brothers and sisters. You know, we don't always get along perfectly with our brothers and sisters. We're sort of stuck in a family. I didn't get to pick my brothers and sisters, and they sometimes annoy me. But they are my brothers and my sisters. And when things come down... They belong to me, and I belong to them, no matter what. It is not a revocable relationship. It is there. It is always there. And here in the church, that's who we are. We are the family of God. That, by the way, is a fact and a reality, not just a metaphor. We're not just like a family. We are a family. So you have a place. God put you here on purpose, for a purpose. God, you are a gift to the rest of us from God. Each of us is that sort of gift to the body from God. Even if you're here just for a week or two, God brought you here and he's giving something to us because you're here. Even if it's just because you're here filling in the crowd. Even if it's just because you're here and you're going to shake someone's hand and smile and be friendly and enjoy the fellowship together. You know, when we enjoy the fellowship together, that's the whole thing. 
because we're born again into the family of God in Christ by the Holy Spirit, and we come together and we enjoy the love of Christ. That is what we will do in heaven forever. There's not another agenda. Now, here in this life, there are things that flow out of that. Our witness in the world, our service in our community, our love for each other, but we always begin resting in Christ by the Spirit. Always. Okay, enough of the review. Last, oh wait, last time there's more. We talked about your place, and we started talking about your place in the family. We read this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Let me just read. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 6. There are varieties of gifts, the same spirit. Varieties of ministries or services, the same Lord. Varieties of effects, results, works but the same God who works all things in every one. There's a diversity and a unity. There is a diversity of gifts. There's a unity of spirit. There's one spirit who gives all the gifts. There's a diversity of ministries, places to serve, things to do. One Lord. The Lord is uh, here the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he uses the word Lord here in particular because he's the one who gives you the service. He's the Lord of the services. And service here means a very simple thing. It means anything you do for somebody else's benefit. Any expression of the love of Christ. And then there's a variety of results Effects, works, workings is the literal Greek word here, energeo, workings. But it's God, and this mean, meaning now the Father, so we had Spirit, Son, Father. Now the Father works. All the works of the workers are the works of the Father in everyone. Everyone. Everyone in the church is being used by God. You might think, well, I'm not doing anything. And maybe you're not, and you should do something. But I don't care if you're doing anything or not. God is working in everyone. God brought you here today. God put, if you're a member of this church, God put you in this church in order to bring something to this church. He's at work in all these things, and God, I know, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, then God cannot accomplish what God wants to accomplish, right? No. You think God is held up by you? Is God's purpose ever thwarted by any man? No. He is all-powerful. He does what he will do. He cannot be stopped. He can't even be slowed. He has already accommodated our weaknesses in his plan. He gives us a part, but he's the one doing it. There's many effects, but it's God who works all things in everyone. 
Well, so last time we spent all our time talking about who you are, who you are in Christ. We remember, and I've printed this in your bulletin, the list from last time, what it means. Who you are, you're handmade by God in his likeness, bearing his image. God has given you gifts, natural and spiritual, if you're a Christian. If you are a believer in Christ, the Spirit has given you spiritual gifts. He's given you particular graces for the purpose of service in the body of Christ. That's what this text says. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The whole point of 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 is gifts. The spiritual gifts are given for the building up of the church, not for the enjoyment of the person receiving the gift. Of course, if I take my gift and serve in the church with it, I'm going to enjoy that. But the point isn't for me to gloat about what great gifts God has given me. The point is for us to serve one another, to express the love of Christ using the gifts he's given. And I would include in that any gift he's given, whether spiritual or natural. If you are born with this talent or if you are born again into this talent, you are, those, those are given. That's part of what God gives the church when God gives you to the church. Wow, I better not preach last week time's uh, lesson again. You're, who you are is the first ingredient in your place, the first factor. This includes your roles and your relationships. Some people are fathers, some people are children, some people are brothers, some people are sisters, some people are bosses, some people are employees, some people are self-employed. We all have diff different makeup of who we are. We all have different education, different experiences. Uh, we all have different interests and different temperaments. Some of us are very socially outgoing, and some of us need someone to come and get us and drag us into the party. Some of us like to do this, some of us like to do that. We, all of these things, God is composing into each one to give that package to the body. Then the last thing we noticed last time was all of us Christians are spirit and flesh, <laughs> saint and sinner. We are all in the battle of sanctification. We are all in the battle to walk by the Spirit or to walk in the flesh every day, every day. Every day the world is trying to hold us back and drag us down into unrighteousness and self-centeredness. And every day the Spirit is trying to focus our attention like a laser beam on the Lord Jesus Christ and move us ahead in Christ. The world's way is the way of earning, deserving, working, Christ's way is, I'll give you that. It's just yours. You operate from wealth already. You don't have to deserve anything from God because of the sacrifice of Christ. There is no deserving from God. When we pretend to deserve things from God, we are insulting his son who gave his life a sacrifice for sin, for grace's sake. Now, grace is foreign to us fallen Christians. We can't get our heads wrapped around it. 
But that is the way we are to operate in the body, and that means you are welcome. It could be on your way over here this morning, you did something deeply offensive to God. In Christ, he already forgot about it. He forgot about it yesterday before you did it in Christ. So come in here and just play in the fountain of God's love and grace. That is who we are. We are the people of the one little word. We are not disturbed by the world and the devil, our enemies that would drag us back into stupidity and sin. We have the power and the liberty to live in grace and thereby to live in righteousness. Not the other way around. So, I always want to harp on that before I talk about what we're talking about next, which is what you do. Because what you do must begin with doing nothing. Must. You know, I've noticed something about families. At the beginning of the day, everyone in the family, unless they're kind of unusual, there are some families that aren't like this, but every day, at the beginning of the day, you know what's true about everyone in the family? They are all asleep. And you know what's at the, true at the end of the day? Every day? They're all asleep again. You see, the day begins and ends in rest. I think God did that on purpose. Because when I read the scriptures, God is constantly talking about resting. It's like he's saying to us, take it easy already. Rest in him. You read the book of Hebrews. There's a big, giant chapter that says, don't be like those Israelites who walked right up to the edge of the resting place, the promised land, and said, ah. And then they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Don't be like that. Rest in Christ. Stop. Stop. When you come in here on Sunday morning, I hope you just stop for a second. Stop first. Rest. You know, in the Bible also, and in life in general, God established a pattern, right? At the very beginning. You remember God, he was working real hard. <laughs> let there be, let there be. God was like, oh, this, this speaking the world into existence must be exhausting. Uh, no. He wasn't tired, but what did he do? The day after he made us, humanity, he rested. Why? Just an example. Just an example. You know, he didn't, he, he didn't rest in such a way that everything he just made came apart. He just rested. Why? So he could say to Adam, see how I rested? After the six days of working, I had a day of rest. You should do that too. 
Now, in the New Testament, what day is the Sabbath? You might say Sunday. And traditionally in the church, that's true. Sunday is the Sabbath. But you know, if you read those chapters in the book of Hebrews I was telling you about, you know what day the Sabbath is? Every day. Every day. We are now in the Sabbath period in the body of Christ. And we look forward to the even greater Sabbath period. Total rest. But even now we are encouraged to rest in the finished work of Christ. So what do you do? The main thing I do is rest. And in resting, I can encourage you to simple faith, trust in the finished work of Christ. There's nothing left really that must be done. There's nothing that God can't do without me or without you. He's not going to be stopped. You can rest. Now here's the thing I've discovered. When I recognize and rest in God's grace, in Christ, by the Spirit, when I recognize and rest in God's grace, I cannot rest and sit still. I can't do it. When I enjoy the goodness of God's love for me in Christ, when I climb up in Abba's lap and just go, oh man, I'm set, my life is solved, everything is fixed in Christ. Even me, even my own stupidity and sin is resolved in Christ and I am reconciled to God. I can, I can march right into the throne of grace boldly like it's mine. And ask God for whatever stupid thing I want. And the thing he loves about that is that I'm coming to him. And he's giving me what I need all the time anyway. When I am in that position of security, of safety, of eternal rest, I have so much energy to do good things and to display that grace to anyone I come in contact with, I can't help it. That is where the fruit of the Spirit is born. I don't, I don't work the fruit of the Spirit. I rest the fruit of the Spirit. And so I began to exhibit the love I have from Him to you. And I began to encourage you so this brings us to this principle that we intend to implement in this church, and that is simple, joyful service. I don't mind if you intentionally decide to suffer for the benefit of someone else. That's what Jesus did. That's love. But if it doesn't make you happy to do that, don't do it.
The scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy. The cross was a simple, joyful service. So you can work hard. You can work yourself weary if it's joyful. You can give sacrificially, as in it really costs you. But the scripture that uh, Franklin read to us this morning says, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. I don't want you to give it to the church if you can think of something better that you'd rather do with it. If you're not happy to give it, keep it. Simple, joyful service from a position of faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you are resting in the finished work of Christ, you will give more sacrificially than you thought possible. You will serve more intensively than you knew you could. You will lock arms with your brothers and sisters in this body of Christ and proclaim the gospel to our community like never before. If you operate from a position of God's grace and love for you in Christ and by the Holy Spirit. If you attempt to do these things apart from that, you will fail and you will be miserable. Simple, joyful service. Now, this is not a job. This church is not a business. I am not the boss. The other elders are not the boss. We're supposed to shepherd. Isn't that an interesting thing? You see, in the body of Christ, we don't have uh, bosses and workers. We have shepherds and sheep. I hear something I've observed about sheep. Not, I don't know anything about sheep, really, but they seem to be all over the place. All right. I do not mind if you are all over the place. This is a family, not a business. So you can go wherever you want, and if you go stupid, we'll come after you. We'll come after you. We'll say, hey, you're going stupid. Come back. If you insist, we'll let you go. Joyful. From the heart. It's not, this is not by demand. Ever. Then we'll pray for you. (laughs) Because there's a father who's managing the whole thing. There's a great shepherd over us Sheep shepherds. That's the goofiest part, right? Because what we have here in the church is some sheep acting like shepherds. We're not any smarter than you, really. Or any more righteous than you. We're all operating in the righteousness of Christ. So, you just serve. And 
it's simple. Here's what I mean by simple. You don't need to have an, you don't need somebody to tell you what to do. Sometimes, for some things, somebody has to organize it. But not every service is organized. If, if you're in a family, is everything you do in and for the family ordered by someone else in the family? No. No, it's not. In our family, just showing up at the dinner table at 6 o'clock every night was the way we served the rest of the family. Now, that was required, but we just got in the habit. By the way, if you have a mom who cooks like our mom, it's no trouble. You just show up. You do what seems necessary. Somebody might say to somebody else, hey, could you handle this? And you might say, I don't know if I can do that. Or you might say, sure. And you might say, I don't know if I can do that. And they'll say, well, I can help you. Would you like to learn how to do it? When I was a kid, my father said to me one day, I want you to sweep the garage. So I went out into the garage, moved the cars out of the garage. I swept the garage. Later that day, my father said, didn't I ask you to sweep out the garage? I said, yeah. Swept out the garage. He said, um, well, how come the garage still needs to be swept out if you swept it out? If you cleaned the floor of the garage, why does the floor of the garage still need to be cleaned? Because when it came to sweeping, I did not know what I was doing. Now, my father could have said, do it again, but he realized I was asleep, a sweeping moron, so he showed me. This is a conversation we sometimes have to have in the church. I'll say, oh, could you lead that Bible study? And you start leading the Bible study and people are coming to me and they're saying, uh, do you know that so-and-so is giving out heretical uh, anti-Christian doctrines in the Bible study? And I'll say, um, okay, so excuse me, let me help you. Let's do some training, let's do some whatever. I, that's an example off the top of my head. But there's a, you might need some help. You might be able to do it. Maybe you need some help. Okay. We'll help each other. It's a family, not a business. Simple, joyful service. And the point of all this is the fellowship. I once asked myself this question. Why does God give different gifts to different people? Why doesn't he just give us all, all the gifts? Wouldn't that be better? We'd all be so rich in gifts. What if when you became a Christian, God also made you a biblical genius? Wouldn't that be better? Why do, why do some people have the gift of teaching and other people don't? Oh, and by the way, why are some of us crazy rich financially, 
and some of us are barely scraping by. Why doesn't God distribute all the resources evenly? We know from the Bible that all these good things that we have, if they're good, they're from God. Why is he so unfair? The reason is fellowship. If we all got the same, what do I need you for? What do you need me for? In the body of Christ, God is assembling the family. The things are distributed unevenly so that we can share. Simple as that. So that we can share. Sharing is everything. I have something you need it. All right. You have something I need it. Good. You need a ride to church. Somebody brings you to church. You need some financial assistance. We have uh, we all give so that we can give financial assistance when people in the congregation need it. We, we need this person to do this and that person to do that. It's not all even. And simple service is simple service. You might know in the church, you might know some students who need help with their uh, geometry homework. And you are a geometry whiz. Give them some help. You don't have to, we are already all related. We can look and fill whatever need God has supplied. Resources move from abundance to need. That's part of fellowship. And within a family, resources move from abundance to need. Here's what I noticed when I was growing up. I don't remember one single time when I bought the groceries. I didn't buy the groceries. I was a kid. Kids don't buy the groceries. Resources move from abundance to need. My parents went out and spent their hard-earned money buy food for me. Why? Because I'm in the family. They don't need any more reason than that. Resources move. I know even between my brothers and sisters, uh, there was a little bit of help back and forth from time to time. There was sharing, sometimes forced upon us by our parents. But there was sharing. We had this rule, if, if I cut the cake, you get first choice. That was a sharing rule. We learned. Now I know if I had any kind of need in my life, I could rely on those people to help me with it. We can do that in the fellowship of the church. The point of all this is not the sharing, not the resource movement, it's the fellowship. You know, the other thing that has to happen for this to happen is my needs have to be visible. Now, some needs are real visible. Some needs you can just see. Some 
you're never going to see them if I don't tell you what they are. Here's something I noticed in my family growing up. If I needed some food, I would say, I'm hungry. I was not even the least bit bashful about proclaiming my great starvation to my entire family. I might even get demanding and say, give me something to eat now. Here's what I'm giving you permission to do. If you need something, you can announce it here. You can say it here. I don't care what it is. We might not be able to help you, but you can say it. We will at least share the pain of it. You don't have to be bashful about needing stuff in your own family. And joyful service includes, oh, I didn't know you needed that. I've got one right here. You can have it. It's an open, honest life together. And fellowship is the point. We're, we're together. Last week I mentioned this also, this idea of checklists and homemade birthday cards. There's some work that's got to be organized. We have elders that are organizing stuff, you know. There, yesterday, right here, there was a children's, the first annual children's game day, right here. Someone put in a lot of work, actually it was more than one person, a lot of people put in a lot of work to organize that service to kids in this church. That had to be organized. There were some checklists involved. Someone gave permission to all those people, the elders gave permission to all those people to come up with whatever they come up with to serve our children. It had to be organized. Some stuff is like that. We have to organize this every Sunday. Someone has to make the list of songs we're going to sing. The musicians have to practice. Everybody has to know the order, all that. Take some checklisting. Honestly, though, I think the more important way of serving is the homemade birthday card. I think that's a little richer in the relationship development thing. If, if I just do extend some personal kindness to someone, some thoughtfulness, something that says, I noticed who you are, I see you. Some uh, way of just noticing someone, giving them place in the family. This is, a, this is as simple as, uh, and some people are very good at this. Some people, I think, are gifted at this. Watching people come through the door and knowing who to hug. 
that is just as important as who organizes the Sunday school class, the Bible study, the worship service, the outreach program, the blah, 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 all the business. So there's some equipping and orchestrating that has to happen. But you don't need permission to love somebody. Well, you already have permission. That's what you do. Simple, joyful service. This comes from who you are. What God is, the way you will go about simple, joyful service is built into you by the way God has gifted you or by the natural talents he's gifted you with or by the life experience he's gifted you with, blah, blah, blah. All about who you are determines what will be joyful service for you. If you uh, want some coaching, let me know. If you're not sure how you can serve here, but you'd like to, we can figure it out. And that is not, by the way, you coming to see me and me giving you a job to do. That's you coming to see me and me asking you who you are. And then thinking with you about how that person might serve here. It's very simple. In Philippians 1.27, just want to close with this. Paul writes, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear about you. Here's what he wants to hear. That you are standing firm in one spirit. That you is a plural. That's all. You all standing firm in one spirit. With one mind. Striving together for the faith of the gospel. Here's the thing about being a Christian. You don't have to do it by yourself. You don't have sufficient, well, anything to do it by yourself. It's something we do together. We strive together for the faith of the gospel. You come and you listen to me preach, and I hope what it, the effect it has on you is that it strengthens your faith in Christ. I'm not paying much attention to whether it strengthens your hard-working religious righteousness. Because if it strengthens your faith in Christ, I'm not worried about your righteousness. And all your religious righteousness is worthless. So when we come together, we're striving together for the faith, for the faith, for the faith of the gospel, to trust in him and operating from rest to serve together this great cause that God has blessed us by bringing us in. 
Father, we thank you for this love that you've shown to us. It's beyond our imagination. Lord, teach us to rest in your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name.